Avast there, mates, and listen up. Vacation Bible School at First Baptist Church in Avon Park set sail from June 25th through June 30th from 5.30 to 8 p.m. with a special family fun night on Friday for the whole family. We'll be casting off with the Proof Pirates this year. You'll not want to miss this thrilling time of fun, games and Bible lessons on the high seas. Send your questions to info at fbcap.net or visit www.fbcap.net. Keep a weather eye out for more information and how to sign up. Proof Pirates, finding the treasure of God's amazing grace. You're listening to Living Faith, the podcast of the First Baptist Church of Avon Park, Florida. First Baptist Church is located at 100 North Lake Avenue in Avon Park, Florida. We meet Sunday morning at 9.30 a.m. for Sunday school and 10.45 a.m. for morning worship. Sunday evening services are at 6 p.m. On Wednesday, we meet at 6 p.m. for our weekly Bible study along with our immersive student and children's ministries. Find out more at www.fbcap.net or give us a call at 863-453-6681. You can email us at info at fbcap.net. We'd love to connect with you soon. This is part of our current Sunday evening sermon series. Dylan, would you come on up to the platform, please? I get to introduce Dylan to you all this evening. You know him and you've seen him, but I just want to tell you a little bit more about him before he preaches to you tonight. Dylan came to our church via our Wednesday night youth program Um, a little more than two years ago, and what preceded that is what makes the story uh, all the more wonderful, and that is that his uh, brother Anthony had started going two years and four months this ago, January, a couple years ago, and uh, was saved as one of our other youth shared the gospel with him, was baptized in March, uh, a little more than two years ago, and then if you would have known some of the conversations that took place between now, Anthony and myself during that time, uh, you would have known that he was very burdened for his brother, for his mother, and at that point, Dylan didn't quite understand why Anthony was so excited about church and the gospel and the Bible and why he wanted to be here on Sunday morning and Sunday night and Wednesday night and learn and be under the teaching of God's word. But then Dylan started coming on Wednesday nights, and um, at first you see the kids that come on Wednesday and they're there because... Someone's dragged them there, someone's made them come, and that was Dylan for a few weeks on Wednesday night, sitting in the back, not really talking to anyone, just, I'm here to be here, and hiding beneath his then shaggy hair that was covering his eyes, and I remember thinking, this guy, he's going to be a tough one. (laughs) Baseball player, athlete, and I saw a change in his life by a change in his face over the course of those weeks on Wednesday night as we uh, broke apart God's word and shared the gospel in those times together. And it's one of those times when if you could say, hey, I just saw that, I saw the Holy Spirit give that person new life. I saw that over the course of some weeks as uh, from a disinterested, disillusioned, typical jock teenage boy sitting there listening to some guy ramble on about the Bible to becoming very engaged in the way he he looked at me as I was teaching and followed me and was trying to find the things in the Bible and then we had lunch we talked about baptism he believed the gospel and uh, we baptized him uh, last March almost a little over a year ago shortly after that his mom uh, Miss Lisa came to faith in Christ, actually around that same time, that same day, actually, as I recall, March of last year, and then we baptized her, and we saw the grace of God work throughout their whole family, calling them not only to salvation, but now Dylan exploring a call into ministry, and where this became obvious to me is when a teenage person comes to you and says, I need to learn more about the Bible, can I come sit with you sometimes during the week, and let's just talk about the Bible. And Dylan came faithfully for a few Tuesdays in a row as we walked long and hard through the entire Bible, the entire storyline. And very quickly I began to see Dylan picking up on things and putting things together 
that um, honestly, as someone who had been saved, quote unquote, from an early age myself, I didn't begin to put together until after Bible college and into seminary, and even sometimes as I'm beginning to preach, but Dylan was putting those things together and studying the Bible and loving the Lord and being here. And he began talking to me about this call to ministry, and we've explored that together. He's been able to teach on Wednesday nights, uh, Sunday night Bible study over with the youth, and Sunday school. And uh, Pastor John and I thought, as he prepares to go off to Bible college, actually sporting the shirt from Boys College where he'll be attending this coming fall, we began to talk about opportunities for him and thought, why not give him an opportunity on a Sunday night near graduation when all of his family is here, his dad, his stepmom, and other relatives and friends and family are here to support him. Uh, why not give him this opportunity to preach to you? And so he studied long and hard. We do run-throughs. We do walk-throughs. I let his peers critique him as he does the run-throughs, and that's always a wonderful thing to sit in on. But he studied long and hard for his text tonight, and uh, I'm going to let him preach, and uh, we're going to welcome him as he comes. But before he preaches, I want to pray for him together as a church. Thank you, God, for Dylan, and we thank you for his witness here at First Baptist, and we thank you for what you've done in his life, what you've done in his brother Anthony's life, what you've done in Lisa's life. We thank you for your Holy Spirit, your sovereign, eternal love and grace, which has called them to yourself, that you've made them yours from eternity past, as we talked about this morning, they belong to you. We thank you that you've brought them to faith in the gospel, that you've showed them the Savior. And now I ask that as Dylan prepares to preach tonight, that you would give him a measure and an anointing of your Holy Spirit to be able to proclaim the word with power and with clarity and authority, that you would open it up to us, that we might be able to understand. But above all, open his mouth, hide him behind the cross as he brings your word tonight. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Good evening. Um, if you would turn to First John chapter 1. Start in the first verse of chapter, or first John, and continue down into verse 10. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and testified to it, and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father, and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and we heard and proclaim to you also, that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light... We have fellowship with one another, and the blood of his son, Jesus, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Let's bow our head in prayer. Lord, we thank you for giving us this opportunity tonight to come and sit under your word. We ask that you bless this time, and as this message goes out, your Holy Spirit convicts us, Lord, to take what we learned tonight and to not just put it in our head, Lord, but put it in our life as we are able to go out of here later and live out what we hear tonight. And in Christ's name we pray, amen. So here, for John is writing, and it's John as the same John in the gospel that we were going through on Sunday morning, the... He writes this letter to combat a heresy that is already fleeing in the, or going into the churches at, at wherever he's writing this. And, that, and it's the heresies that are compromising the person and the work of Christ as he came to earth. He minimized their sin. These people were coming in and saying that you can sin all you want and you can sin and do stuff. And it was minimizing his, what sin really does to us. And at the same time he's doing this, he's reassuring us as believers and the people of God of their salvation, that this salvation that we are getting and receiving is genuine. The purpose of this whole letter is to make a joy, create joy in us, and to build on the joy we should have already in Christ. 
to make a prevention of our to sin, to know what to look out for, to protect against false teachers, and to assure believers of their salvation. But if we look here, looking mainly in verse 2, verses 1 and 2, we, I, we've seen this language before. And if we look back to Genesis 1, if we look to John 1 that we go on on Sunday mornings, this is very obvious evidence of the Trinity. Because this life that it talks about in verse 2, that this life that was made manifest, that life was Jesus. And uh, that he was made manifest to us by the Father. And why is this significant? That Jesus was made manifest, and then later on in verse 2, you see he was made manifest, and he was with the Father. This is significant because the with the Father shows that he was preexistent. He, was, he is God, and that he has an authority of what he's coming to do, and that he has the authority to do that, all that he does. As if we look in other places where, in the Beatitudes that we all know, Matthew, eight, uh, Matthew 5, he says, you have heard it said, but I say. He's, talking, he's claiming authority over the law and over what he's doing. And this authority is given to him because he is God. He, he was with God, as it says in John 1. And in Genesis, you can see because the Father, the Father is the one that speaks into creation, makes everything, but the Son is the one who acts, and the Spirit is the power. And the Spirit you can see working through because they're able to testify and proclaim to it. And if we remember the apostles, they were the ones denying Jesus on the night of his arrest. They were the ones that were saying, we're not with him. But then now he's writing to combat heresy in the church, and they're proclaiming to thousands of people. This is the work of the Spirit, and that's underlined here. Also, you can see it in salvation where the Father ordains our salvation. Jesus accomplishes it on the cross. And then later, this, or now the Spirit is what's in us as believers. And then why does this even matter? Because Jesus testifies to us that the Father, he testifies to us about the Father with his life. That's what he says in John. I came to reveal the Father. I came to make the Father known. Now he calls us that we'll see, uh, we see in Matthew 28, the Great Commission. He tells us to testify about him with the power of the Spirit and go out in the world and testify about Jesus. So here in 1 John, we'll see three distinct calls from here, and that is a call to salvation, a call to proclaim the gospel, a call to proclamation, and a call of demonstration of the Christian life and how to live the, this life out. So I'll reread starting in verse 1, verses 1 and 2. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life. That the life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and testified to it, and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father, and was made manifest to us. From the beginning, uh, like it, it, you can see it in John 1, but here John is specifically talking about the earthly ministry, earthly ministry of Jesus Christ. And that means his teaching, his healing, and we, we're seeing that now on uh, Sunday mornings. We just went over uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, Jesus turning water into wine. And then later, whenever we get there, we'll see the parables. That's where he starts his teaching and how he starts teaching his disciples. But you also see here in that same continuing, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, and which we looked upon and have touched with our hands. This is saying, John right here is telling us, I have an authority, I have an expertise on this because I have seen it. I have touched Jesus. I have been with Jesus throughout it all. I've been here with him, and I, I know what I'm telling you. I'm not making up this stuff as I go along. The, but this terminology and this words from the beginning and that he, that from the beginning is talking about that this word, the word of God does not change with what the culture tells us and what the culture is pushing at us. No matter how the culture changes, and we're experiencing a major culture shift right now, no matter what that does and what, how that turns out, the word of God is going to stay consistent throughout it all. Because who wants a God that can constantly changes his mind and is a hypocrite and is always changing like I want that, I want that, I want that, but not staying what he wants and sticking to that and telling us what he wants. 
That's not a God that I want. I want a God that gives me an authoritative statement and says, this is what I'm calling you to do, and you have to do it if you want to be with me. The word manifest, which we'll see pretty often in the next, in verse 2, we'll see it in verse 3. This is very important if you go back into the writings of this time. When you repeat, when people of this time repeat what they're saying, it's stating and emphasizing the importance. If we look to many of the things Jesus says throughout the Gospels and everything, he, or even Paul in some places, will say, true, Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, what he told Nicodemus uh, to, when I born again, truly, truly, I say to you, that's showing that what I'm about to say is very important, and you have to listen. This is going to sh- rock your world. This is going to shake things up. But this word manifest means phanirao in Greek. And Greek is fun to try to decipher. But it means, this word means to make clear, to make visible, or to make known. So what is being made known here? And if we look back to what I was talking about in the inter- when I was introducing this topic, is that life. It says it right there in verse 2, the life was made manifest. So this life is Jesus. And Jesus was being made manifest. And this is important because he was being made known to us. He was showing that he was identifying with us. And if you go, keep continuing on that same thought process, they have seen it. They have watched Jesus with his own eyes. They have traveled with Jesus and see what he's doing with the miracles, turning water into wine. What they'll later see in his parables and how he's rebuking the Pharisees and all the other things. They have seen that. And they testify to it and proclaim to you eternal life. Jesus is the life. They're proclaiming to these people. They're, John is proclaiming here Jesus and that he is the eternal life that we have to believe in and have to go to to be saved. And that is the gospel. We have to believe in the gospel in order to be saved. We have to believe that Jesus left heaven, took on humanity, and became, lived a perfect sinless life, and died on the cross for our sins, died for us as a, a substitute for us because we can never take the wrath that was handed to us. We can never live the law perfectly. And that he was killed, buried, and rose again and ascended to the right hand of the Father. We have to believe that if we want to be saved. We have to believe that if we don't want to be condemned and go to hell. We have to believe that to go to heaven. This is how people are saved. But why would these disciples, why would these apostles proclaim this? Here in the first century uh, after, in the first century after Christ died, this was... This, them pre- preaching the gospel was punishable by death. People would kill them. The Jews would go after them and kill them. Even Paul, who we all love, Paul was there when Stephen was stoned. He was holding the coats of everyone that was stoning Stephen. But they were confident in the mission that Jesus gave them in Matthew 28 to go out and proclaim the gospel that all authority was given to him. And they knew that no matter what they did, they were with Christ, that they were going to be with Christ no matter what happened to them on this earth. And that's what we have to do, and we have to, they were confident in their salvation, and that they were saved, and they knew that who Jesus was, and they knew that he was with the Father, he was God, and he was the Messiah that came to save them. But how did he know this? How did they know this? Because they knew who Jesus was. They knew he was with the Father, as it says here in verse 2. He was with, which was with the Father, it was made manifest to us. Jesus was with the Father, but left, was with the Father, but then was made manifest to us. And this, again, like I said earlier, it shows Jesus' authority, that he, had a, that he had an authority because he is God and that he is preexistent. But what does this authority mean? What does, why do we need to listen to this authority? Because that life that I was talking about, Jesus, the life that was made manifest again, to them, this eternal life with the authority of Jesus shows that he is the source of all life and all light. That he does not receive his life and light from another person. He is life. He is light. He can give life. He doesn't take his life from anyone else. He gives life. 
he is the chosen one that brings our salvation and that redeems a people for, that redeemed us, that brought us with the Father and restored us with the Father. And when this is proclaimed, when the gospel is proclaimed, it's the king, they're, they're flying the doors of the kingdom open and inviting us in. Why not come? Because it's going it, to, you have two options, as Pastor John said this morning. You have heaven or hell. If you don't believe in the gospel, if you don't believe that Jesus came to save us, you're going to hell. You have, the, with the, when the gospel is proclaimed, when people are sharing the gospel with you, the kingdom's open. They want, Jesus is extending his hand of mercy and asking you to come in. And if you're rejecting this, there's only one thing for you. And so you have to believe this. But as transferring into the next point, once we have been saved, what do we do with this gospel? What do we do with the gospel once we have been saved? And that is that we have to proclaim the gospel. We have to proclaim it out in the world. And this, going back to verse 3. That which, was, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. This word proclaim is another word for preaching, for telling, for talking to other people about the gospel. By what power is this being done? It's the same power that is within us, and that is the Holy Spirit. By the power of the Holy Spirit, we are able to proclaim the gospel. That is how the apostles were able to proclaim the gospel. That is how Peter was able to proclaim the gospel and Acts on the day the Holy Spirit came down. That is why we are able to proclaim the gospel. But what is the gospel? Besides what I just said, the gospel is truth claims. They are actual history. You can go back in history and find these people. You can find Pontius Pilate. You can find King Saul. You can find King David. You can find all of these people in history. It's not just stuff that people sat around and says, oh, that sounds good. I'm going to write that down. It's actual stuff that actually happened. And this is what we can base the gospel off of, is that you can go back and look and say, that person's real. That person's real. So what he's saying may have credibility that this actually may be true and that gives you a that's an invitation right there to proclaim the gospel and to ask them to by the power of the spirit to come into the kingdom of Christ and to be there and proclaim to them eternal life but in verse 3 also if you uh, the latter half of verse 3 that you too may have fellowship with us and in a, indeed our fellowship is with the father and with his son Jesus Christ as Christians, what in Acts 2 are we called to do? We're called, we are called to fellowship with other believers. As it says in Acts 2, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to their fellowship of other believers and the breaking of bread and so on. We are called as believers to fellowship and be around other believers. This is not, Christianity is not a lone wolf religion. We're not supposed to be on our own and trying to find our own truth. We have to, we have to be with other people and want to be with other people. Uh, turn with me, if you would, to John seventeen twenty three. But and while you're turning there, Jesus wants us to be one. He wants us to work as one and to be united in the body of Christ and to be united as believers. And we'll see that here, right here in G John seventeen, starting in verse twenty. Starting in verse twenty, this is Jesus's prayer in the garden before his arrest when he's praying. To the Father. Starting in verse 20. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that all, they all may be one, that they all may be united, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me, that he has manifested, that he was with us. The glory that you have been given. That the glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I and them, and you and me, that they may be perfectly one, so that the world may know that you have sent me and loved them, even as you have loved me. Jesus is praying for us to be as one. Jesus is praying for us to be united in the body, to not to be together in the gospel and together for the gospel, and proclaiming the gospel out to the world, and proclaiming and pushing his message, proclaiming to everyone eternal life. 
But here we'll see, we see I'm talking about this is a fellowship of us, a fellowship of the saints and a fellowship of believers. But this is a material and physical fellowship. But here it talks about another fellowship that's more important than that. And that fellowship, as you'll see, if you want to turn back to 1 John, that fellowship is, as John says, that you have fellowship with us, meaning other believers and other saints, but our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. This is the important fellowship you gain with salvation. This is the fellowship you gain when you are saved. And this important salvation, this union in this spiritual body that we are now united in, and the spiritual body that as we are saved, we are being in, as as First Peter says, you yourselves are like living stones are, that are being built up as a spiritual house. We are these stones that are being built up in the spiritual house of God as we are being saved and being brought into the kingdom of God. But this fellowship that we had was not always, was at one point not broken. Because in Genesis, we were with God. We had a perfect communion, or Adam and Eve had a perfect communion with God. They were in perfect unison with him. But as we all know, as Pastor John likes to say, it took us three chapters to mess that thing up. And we were, in the fall, we lost this fellowship. We lost this communion with God. But throughout, he gives us a foretaste. He gives us a a foreshadowing of Jesus, where in the Old Testament we had the priesthood, which was us to God, how we we went through to God, we went through the priest and went to God, the prophets who was God speaking to us. And now in the new covenant, we have the blood of Christ that has restored our fellowship with God if you believe in the blood of Christ and believe in the gospel of his son. But this, we, we talked about this this morning. Continuing in verse 4. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Joy. Simple question, but we get it wrong often. What is joy? Joy is not a feeling that is driven by external forces. We're not joyful one second and then the next second we're not so joyful. We all know people that, like, that are up and down like that. But joy is not one of those things that go up and down. They're not affected by the external. Joy is what comes in faith in Christ. And there's that foundation you have in Christ. So that no matter what happens, you have joy. You have Christ. You have the ultimate victory. You have him. And he is not going to be changed. He is not going to be taken off his throne. As it says in Philippians 3. Paul tells the church of Philippi. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things. And count them as rubbish. He counts them as nothing. And he continues, in order that I may gain Christ, because Christ is everything. He, can, he considers everything external to be rubbish, to be nothing. So that Christ, he may gain more of Christ. So that he may gain Christ. And this is joy. This is how we should present the gospel. This is how we should go to other people. And when we present the gospel, this is how we should present it with joy. Not with a little, not with sad like, hey, you should come to church. You should believe in Christ. You should know, I love Christ. I love church. This is what you need to believe because if you don't, you're going to hell. You're not going to go to heaven. That's how we should be sharing the gospel with joy. And how does joy come to us? It's this process that we have seen in the verse, three verses. Verses 1 and 2, you hear and accept the gospel. You hear the gospel proclaimed to you and that by John and by us and accept that gospel. Then verse 3, you fellowship with other believers and you fellowship with God. And then that will produce joy. That will produce the joy in your life. That will build a foundation of joy that you can always go to in times of trial, in times of need. And they will build you up. And that, is, that, is, that creates the most joy that you could ever have. Christ creates the most joy you could ever have. But continuing in verse 5, that God is light. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you also, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Where else have we heard this? We've heard it Sunday mornings. John 1, verse 5. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. This is another contrast of that light and dark that John likes to do. And he likes to contrast um, how... The, the two differences because Christ is light, God is light, 
There is nothing in him that is not light. That's the pureness and holiness of Christ. He can bring no sin and bring no, nothing else but light and bring nothing else but good. But if we walk in darkness, as we'll get in later, in later verses, we will be separated from Christ. We don't have this joy. We won't have a message to proclaim to people because there is no union of light and dark. There is no way light and dark can be united in Christ. This is the message that we have to proclaim. And that is that God, as we read in Ephesians, God, rich in his mercy, has given us his son, has given us a way to be saved. He has given us his son to live the life that we could never live, to die a death that we could never live, and to fulfill the law, to be killed, to be buried, to be raised again, and to ascend to the Father. That is the message we have to proclaim. That is what we have to go out of these doors and go proclaim to everybody to get, bring them into the kingdom, to have, pray for the, if you're not good at it, pray for the Spirit to work in you, and to be, God's message will not come out void. There's, he, he told us that his message will not come back void. So go out there and preach to everyone. If you need to, grab a bucket and stand up, open air, preach. Tell everyone. Preach the gospel. Proclaim the gospel out among the nations. And, live, and now we're going to see how to live out, to demonstrate the gospel. Verse 6. We'll go from verse 6 to verse 8. If we say we have fellowship with him... While we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. What does it mean to be in darkness? It means to be blind to the good news of Jesus Christ, to be blind to the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what it means to be in the darkness. But there are people like this, and John's calling them out right here on their lies. John is calling these kinds of people out because he's saying, if we say we have fellowship with him, in verse 6, we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Because there are people in our lives, there's people in the church life at that point even, that early in the church, there's people like that and there are people I certainly know there are people in our lives that are like that that say they have fellowship with God that say they're all right with God but they live the furthest thing from it they live the farthest thing from it and these are dangerous people to watch out for if you're not looking for them because they could they can trick you into there they can be like the serpent they can make it sound good and trick you into doing it and that's going to bring you and drive a wedge between you and Christ and push you out and push you away but we have to know that we have the firm foundation of Christ and that he is with us and to lean on his word and to believe in his word and be with his people and surround ourselves with people that live out the word and that live the pure and true word of Christ and that practice the truth as it says. That we, and they do not practice the truth, but we need to find people that practice the truth. But continuing on, but if we walk in the light... This Greek word for practice is poeo. Again, with the Greek, it means I do or I act. And what are we doing and what are we acting? And what truth are we pra- should we be practicing? That truth is the gospel. That we, we don't share the gospel with our actions, but we live out the gospel. We live out what is being proclaimed to us. And we proclaim it to other people, but to give the word of God credibility so people aren't saying oh well he's a hypocrite I'm good if he's doing that and I'm doing that I don't need to believe what he's doing because I'm doing the same thing but we need to live out what is in the Bible we need to live out what we are preaching and telling other people because that gives us credibility and that gives us a way a connection with them and if we walk in the light as in verse 7 uh, we, we will fellowship with people. That's a way to do it. But as Pastor John says, I can't do it in the, the southern accent that he can do it with. That makes it sound all nice. Your want-tos change. Your want to, I mean, they have to, don't they? If you believe in the gospel and you're proclaiming the gospel and you don't want to live as a hypocrite, you don't want to live in darkness, they have to change. Because our lives aren't in the dark. They're not in the private. They're out in the public. They're out in the open. And so we need to walk in pure and true doctrine. We need to know our Bible inside and out. We need to know how to act and how to live. 
and how to live out in the world and to sh- demonstrate the gospel in the world to give us a way and a, a way to share the gospel, an avenue to share the gospel. Because if some people will notice that, hey, he kind of acts a little different. He's not doing all the stuff we're doing. I wonder why. They might ask you, and there Christ is opening the kingdom door. He's saying, look, share the gospel with them. They're wanting to know why you're acting this way. And there, that gives you a perfect avenue to share the gospel, to preach the gospel to them. Because genuine Christians, if we are a genuine Christian, we will walk in the light. Genuine Christianity, genuine faith in the gospel produces a walker of light, produces people that walk in the light as he is in the light. It says in Ephesians 5.8, for at one time you were in darkness. We were all in darkness at one point. But now you are in the light of the Lord. Walk as children of the light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. To live out the fruit of this light and to live a proper, upright, good life. But would you not say John's asking us a little too much? He's asking us to walk exactly as he is in the light. As it says here in verse 7, to walk as, if we walk in the light as he is in the light. That's a, that's a tall order to answer. But how are we able to fulfill this command? How are we able to demonstrate the command that John is giving us? A great preacher once said, The expressions of this kind are accommodated to the capacities of men. He is therefore said to be like God, who aspires to his likeness, however distant from it he may be. Keywords, who aspires, who is determined to his likeness, however distant, however far he may be from it. This is saying that we have to pursue holiness. We'll never attain it in this life. We'll never attain holiness in this life. But we have to pursue after it and chase after holiness as with our lives. Take up your crosses daily and follow Christ. And this will this is how we fulfill this, to follow Christ every day with our whole lives and with our hearts. Continuing in verse 7 and 8, the latter parts of verse 7. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Again, he's saying we, the truth is not in us. How are we cleansed from these sins? That is, as Hebrews 9, Hebrews 9 puts it, without the shedding of blood on the cross, without the shedding of Christ's blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. That is, there, we are not cleansed from his sins without the blood of Christ that was spilt on that day at Calvary. But how, how do we get to this point? How do we not... Are we to say, as Paul says, Paul rhetorically asks in Romans, so do we sin more so grace may abound? But he quickly answers his own question, by no means. But then what are we supposed to do? Uh, Martin Luther once said, we are simultaneously just and sinner. We are simultaneously saved and sinner. This is, has come up in a lot, is that already not yet. We are already saved in Christ, but we are not yet glorified. We are not yet perfect in Christ. So we will stumble and sin, but that was paid for at the cross. Our sins on the cross were paid. Past, present, and future sins were paid for at the cross of Christ. If you have faith in Christ, those sins were paid for. But we still have to pursue, as I said earlier, to pursue and aspire to his likeness. However far we may be, we have to drive to that likeness. We have to demonstrate that out in the world. But what about those people in our lives? And we all have those people that say, oh, but we're so good. People are good. How can we be bad? How can we, how can God send people to hell? And what do we do with these people? Well, there, John answers that question right there in verse 8. We deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. He calls them a liar in verse 6. They're liars. Because, I mean, we can look around right now. Look in the broad, in the world, and the shift, the culture shift I was talking about, homosexuality, that is a, not a good thing because they are pushing the bounds of everything. They're, they're saying they're going to stop here, but they're really not. 
They're, put, they're get, letting you get comfortable with that, and then they're going to push further and further and further until it's in everything we have. Until they're pushing, they're, we're, they're trying to kick out our religious freedom and our First Amendment right of free, freedom of religion. And they are, it's not good. But we, we're, we have a tendency to say, that's out there. We don't really have that here. We don't have the, we're, we're not big on homosexuality. We're in the South. That's not really our thing. But look at home. What happened last weekend? There were shootings. Two shootings back to back, Sunday, Sunday, Sunday night, Monday night. That's not good. That's not good people doing that. How are we supposed to say we are good people if there's stuff like that happening every second, every day of our lives? We are not good. What, most of us can quote this song from memory. But what does it say we are in Amazing Grace? We are a wretch. We are depraved. We are terrible people. We are not a good people. Now going, but what do we do? How do we deal with these sins? Continue to verse 8. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. We need to repent constantly of the sins that we are in in our life. Not in a legalistic manner like, as the Pharisees did, or pray like, oh, thank God I'm not like this person. But we need to pray because it shows our position to God. It shows the different position that God is on his throne and God is holy and God is glorious. And that we are a wretched, depraved, cursed sinner. And we need his mercy and his grace in order to live out what he's asking us to do. And we need to confess our sin. It's not required of us. But as I was just saying, these people in society say, oh, we're good people. If we're not repenting of our sins, we could quickly fall into that trap. And be tricked by them and it can fool us into thinking that we are good. And that we are all good. Oh, I don't need to repent. I haven't repented in a while. That means I'm pretty good. I'm, I'm set. No, you are not set. There are sins in your life that we are all dealing with. We have sins that we have had, that we are currently having, and that we will have in the future. And we need to repent of these sins. And to, put our, and to come back to Christ and ask him to sanctify us, to bring us back to him. He will forgive us because, as I said, it, is, it was already forgiven at the cross. Christ forgave us when he died at the cross, on the cross. He is faithful and just to forgive. As it says here in verse 9, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. He wants us to repent and turn back. Numbers 14, 18, you don't have to turn there because it will probably take a while. The Lord is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Forgiving iniquity and transgressions. So God right here is telling us. He, he's slow to anger. He's slow, to, he's, slow to, he's slow because he wants us to come back. He wants us to have a chance to repent and be back in the fold. And to have him and to pray for him to sanctify us. But quickly he says right after that. But he will by no means clear the guilty. If you are not repenting of the sins, he will not clear that he will not clear the guilty that are not in his sins. Also in Psalm 32, 5, this, he says, I acknowledge my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. God is forgiving, and he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. Verse 10, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar. If we just focus on that. If we, have, if we say we have not sinned, this is almost identical to verse 8. If we say we have no sin in verse 8. Verse 10 is telling you, if we keep saying we have not sinned, if we're not repenting and we're saying we, oh, we're all good, we're all set, his word, as it says in 10b, the, the latter half of verse 10, his word is not in us. We are not children of God. If we're going to constantly say, we have no sin and that we are good and that we are all set. His word will not and is not in us. But this verse could make some people think like, wait, 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 wait. I didn't think God was a liar. John is saying right here, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar. How does that work? How do you make God a liar? You live as a hypocrite. You say, as it says earlier, as I was saying, as it says earlier, you, if you walk, if you say you have fellowship with them and say you are with Christ and you say you live with Christ, 
but then you're out there getting drunk every weekend or smoking weed or whatever, doing all that fun stuff, then you make him a liar. But God really, we all know, God is really not a liar. God really does not lie. But like I said, if you say you are with him but live opposite, the people in the world will think God is a liar. They will think, why do I need to believe in a God that says you need to do this, but you're doing that and I'm doing that, so we must be on the same field. We must be on the same playing field. We must both be good. I must be good to go. So you're making him a liar. These people are not lights to the gospel. These people are not saved. These people need to be brought back in the fold. They need to be, have people come to them and say, look, I know you, you're, you're out there doing all this stuff. You need to stop and you need to come back because you're, you're not being the light to the gospel. You're not being a beacon as we learned in VBS. You're not being a beacon for the gospel. You're being a barrier. You're hindering other believers and other people in the world. But we have all sinned. We all have sinned and still sin, according to Romans 3.23. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We know that one. But you know what it is if we say, continue in what it says in verse 9, if we say we have no sin, do you know what it is to deny that statement, as it also says in Romans 3.23? That is blasphemy. That is denying the word of God. That is insulting God and his word, to say that you have no sin. Because we all sin. And if we are able, if we're not accepting this, as it says in Numbers, he will not clear the guilty. He will not clear you of that sin. But he also gives you, he, right now his hand is extended in mercy. And he is saying, believe in the gospel. Believe in my son and you will, your sins, your transgressions will be covered. You, are, you will be saved and you will be brought into the kingdom. We as the people as sinners that aren't in the, the, that aren't with God, that aren't children of God, should throw themselves. We should throw ourselves, even as Christians, we should throw ourselves at God's feet and ask for mercy. Ask for him to forgive us of our sins and to confess our sins to them. Because he will give us mercy. He has already said he is faithful and just to forgive. He will forgive us. And sin, uh, people that are not saved need to ask him for mercy and ask him, to, ask him to have the Holy Spirit work in them and believe in the gospel. Once we are saved from the wrath of God, once we have thrown ourselves at the feet of God and asked for his mercy and he has brought us into his house and brought us into his kingdom by belief in the gospel, by belief that his son was sent to us, left the perfection of heaven, came to us, lived a life of perfection, fulfilled the law, died on the cross for, as a substitute for us, was buried, was risen again on the third day, and ascended to the right hand of the Father. With belief in that, we are able to go out in the world and proclaim the gospel. We are able to go out and tell other people, fulfill our Matthew 28 commission, and go out in the world and tell other people, look, this is what you need to believe to have eternal life. You have two options. Rejecting this, you're going to hell. But if you receive this, you receive all the blessings of Christ. You receive all that he has given us. We accept adoption into the family of Christ. And then once we do this, once we're proclaiming and saved and we're proclaiming this gospel out into the world, we have to demonstrate and do as we're telling other people to do, to live holy lives, to live as he is holy. We have to do this too. We have to pursue, we have to aspire to be like him. We have to aspire to be like God, no matter how far from it we may be. There is a book, I'm going to close with this. There's a book I'm reading, from, it's called Pages from Church History. There's a, they have a breakdown of different eras of the church and major people and major works of those people. And many of us, some of us may know the Puritan John Bunyan. And his famous writing, many of us may have it. Some of us, many of us may have read it. The Pilgrim's Progress. The, the book is about a man named Christian walking through his lives. He is facing many problems, many trials, and different things as he is going through his life. But as he, he, there's a, it's a whole allegory. The book is an allegory and different things represent. It's pretty easy to pick up. But he has a load on his back that represents, it's a heavy load that he's struggling to carry as he walks through his life. 
He's constantly faced with problems. But as he gets to the cross, as he gets to the shadow of Calvary, says that, that load rolled off his back, rolled into the tomb, and was never to be seen again. That, that load that he was carrying was broken. As Jesus said, come to me all who are heavy laden and I will give you rest. That the tomb, the cross, gave him rest. When this happens, and this is where I'll close. When this happens, Christian says, he hath given me rest by his sorrow and life by his death. Then he sings, thus far did I come loaded with my sin, nor could aught ease the grief that I was in till I came hither. What a place is this? Must here be the beginning of my bliss? Must here the burden fall from my back? Must here the strings that bound it to me crack? Bless cross, bless sepulcher, Blessed rather be the man that there was put to shame for me. We have to believe in the gospel. We have to be saved. We have to proclaim that gospel out to the lie. We have, if we are here and we do not know the gospel, believe in the gospel. Believe that Jesus came to save us. And that as believers, we need to proclaim this gospel out. We need to go out in the world and proclaim to others the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then on top of that, we have to demonstrate that we have to live it out. We have to go out in the world and show that we are children of God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you tonight for giving us this opportunity to sit under your word and to learn your word. Lord, I, I pray that we have the opportunity to, as this, word, as this word comes out, that we do not just take it and let it sit in our head, but we, let it, we ask the Holy Spirit to move and let it work in us and to live it out and to be beacons to you and to live out this life that you have called us to live. We ask that if anyone here tonight does not know the gospel, that they believe and they come to you, that they come share that with us and that they come to you, Lord, because you give us rest, you give us peace, and you will give us eternal life and eternal joy. I thank you for giving us this opportunity again, and I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.